This is Tennessee Talks with United States Congressman Tim Burchett. Hello, I'm Congressman Tim Burchett, and welcome back to another episode of Tennessee Talks. Today, I'm joined by Greg Gravy Coker. Greg, thank you for being here with us, brother. You served um, 20, if I say something wrong here, just jump in. Oh, yes, sir. All right. We served, he served 22 years in the U.S. Army as an AH-6 Little Bird attack helicopter pilot in the Army's only special operations helicopter unit, the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment. He led combat missions during Operation Enduring Freedom and Iraqi Freedom in support of the global war on terrorism and conducted 11 combat tours from 2001 to 2008. He also owns Shields 91 that provides firearm training and Not On My Watch, a school safety and security program that has been implemented in Texas and other states. <clears throat> Greg, I want to thank you for joining me here on Tennessee Talks. It's great to have you on the show, and thank you for serving our great country, brother. I, I appreciate that more than you know. Daddy fought in the Corps in the, in the Second World War and oh, goodness. in the Pacific, and he was on Peleliu in Okinawa, and then he went to China and fought the communist, and then oh went to went to the University of Tennessee and fought the communist over there for forty years. And <laughs> yes, sir. Mama, mama lost a brother fighting the Nazis, and she flew an airplane during the war. I'm kind of oh, proud of both goodness. of them; they were pretty cool people. Yes, um, yeah. Anyway, but they they joined uh, right after, or Daddy joined right after December seventh, forty one, of course, and mm-hmm. and. Um, Mom was a little different. Technically, she's not a veteran, but flying a plane for a little country girl, 17, 18 years old, is pretty badass, in my opinion. Yes, sir. That is. Didn't have electricity until she's a senior in high school. But anyway, hey, uh, how old were you when you joined the service? And uh, what what called you to serve our great country? Well, sir, first of all, I'd like to say thank you. It's an honor, Congressman, to to get get to chat with you today and we love Tennesseans remember they came down and kind of helped us out one time there at the Alamo so as I, as I like to tell my my Texas members up here it wouldn't be a Texas if it wasn't for Tennessee that's right that's you know right. Davy Crockett he was in Congress and he got beat and he yes. said uh, he went home and said as for y'all can all go to hell as for me I'm going to Texas I'm going to Texas and then he gets killed but he did get a Disney special out of the deal so it worked out you know it kind of you could kind of even out on that yes sir. But, yes sir yeah thanks again but yeah I was 25 when I enlisted in the army I was a little bit older and I I you know all all young men we search for that that path and God lays that path out for us in our mother's womb. But, you know, sometimes some of us are a little hard-headed and, and need to get knocked around to, you know, figure out what we're going to do finally. But, yeah, I, I I enlisted, and I wanted to continue my college education. My dad highly recommended that, you know, I enlist, go in, see see what it's all about. He's a retired Air Force, 30 years. Um, he was a command chief, but yeah, so, so I did that and I, but to precursor that I always wanted to fly always. And I grew up, you know, in the sixties and seventies, watched the helicopter war on TV in Vietnam. Right. So always. Yeah. I had an infatuation with those crazy whirly birds, so to speak. And yeah, that, that was you know, in my late teens, and I was like, man, I, I would really like to fly. But at the time, I didn't have a four-year degree. 
and the only vehicle at that and still today was the warrant officer program in the army but i enlisted first went to fort campbell and spent three years there in, in the 327th infantry first brigade at the same time i was getting my flight school packet together and it, it, it just took time back then. It probably took me close to a year because we didn't have internet. We didn't have, I think there was one computer in the whole brigade. And, but yeah, so it was all, all done by hand and, and running around posts and getting flight physicals and taking fast tests and so on and so forth. And some odd reason I got selected to attend warrant officer flight training in 1989. <laughs> wow. 89. Let's see. I was, uh, yeah. <laughs> One year out of college. Should have been three years out of college, but I enjoyed the last two. Oh, so, yes. Uh, yes. I squeezed it into a little longer. Well, how'd you get the nickname Gravy? Oh, goodness. That, well, read the book. That story's in there. No, you should no, say, buy the book. We're capitalists here. Buy the book. Yes, sir. Well, I was a competitive three gun shooter and I shot with. Kyle Lamb and yeah, Tony Ely, OG, bunch of Tennessee boys there. And we, we had gone to a match, I believe it was down in Alabama. And we went to Chow that morning. And I love biscuits and gravy. So I was a cook in the army. No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> but I had biscuits and gravy and I was sitting there eating it and we were all talking and chatting and talking tactics for the match and what, you know, what kind of weapons we're going to run on this stage and that stage. And, and, and I, to this day, I don't know what happened, but next I cut a biscuit and gravy just went all over my face, my ears, everything. Of course, the whole table, there were about probably eight of us sitting there. And of course they all hit the floor laughing and Kyle looked at me and he goes, all right, from now on, let it be known from this day forward, gravy. And I said, goodness, <laughs> goodness gracious. But yeah, so gravy's followed me since that's probably 95, 96. Well, could be worse. Could be something else. Oh, yes, sir. Six guns don't miss. What's that mean? And how did it start? Well, the six guns are the H6s and the 160th. So they're that's B company. So there's two Little Bird companies in the 160th in 1st Battalion. A company or the little birds with the planks on the side where the customers or the, the operators ride to the target. And then the AHs are attack helicopters. They're B company. And I was told that it was back in 1981, we were training up for the second hostage rescue attempt in Iran. So they had... That's when Charlie, Charlie Beckwith, Colonel Beckwith got the aviators and aircraft that he wanted originally, which came from the Army. So they had Blackhawks and they had eight, six Little Birds in the package. And we carried two miniguns, one on each side of the aircraft. So a couple of AHs landed. Colonel Beckwith was standing there. And of course, they were out in the Western desert. You know, everybody's dirty and dusty and nasty. And they land in the the pilots get out and Colonel Beckwith said, all right, from now on, I'm going to call you guys the six guns because of the two mini guns, just like the six shooters that right. the old gunfighters wore back in the wild west. What, so, what caliber are those guns? 
There's 762, a 308 bullet. They fire 4,000 rounds per minute. Wow. Yes, that's, sir. So that's fluid. Two guns will fire 132 bullets per second. Phew. That'd take you out pretty quick. Um, yes, sir. Yeah, so, the, and then the standards that we are required to shoot to, which are very, very tight, we don't miss because the ground force trusts us to shoot in close proximity to them. Is that is that called close air support? Is that what yes, they sir. call it? Yeah. Yes, we're close air supporters. Yeah. When daddy was in the Pacific, the Corsairs would yep. try to do that. They weren't yes, they weren't exactly stationary. <laughs> no. No. No, we we never we're always moving when we shoot. So well, we can't hover or do any of those other cool things that other helicopters can do. So. I got you. Well, tell me about the time you were shot down by a SAM or a surface-to-air missile. Oh, yes, sir. Another day at the office for a six-gun. It was on 19 March 2004. We had been hitting targets in Fallujah and Ramadi for several days. And speaking of the wild, wild west, it, it was in that area. And the insurgency was in in a full tilt they were coming to fight the americans and we had hit a target in fallujah late that night got intel off of it we're looking for this other dude he was going to be at this house at 10 that morning so the delta guys said hey you guys just stay here we had a little place outside of fallujah there where we gas up and hang out if we needed to in the aircraft so they drove in, they hit that target, got some more intel off of it, which there was a higher ranking Al-Qaeda dude in Amaria, which is about 15 miles south of Fallujah. So the Sergeant Major says, hey, you guys go back to Baghdad. We're just going to drive down there and kill this guy and we'll see you back at the ranch. Okay, roger that. So we went back, they drove down there, hit the target and got into a a tick so that's troops in contact i to this day i think it was an ambush it was all premeditated pre-planned but whatever so we got the call and it was about 1300 hours in the afternoon it was our first day mission since october 3rd in 1993 in mogadishu somalia and we all know what happened on that day and that's where black hawk down came from but, you know, they, there's an unwritten rule or call it what you will, but we know that we're going to come for you if you get in trouble. Never shall I leave a fallen comrade, it says it in the Ranger Creed, and we all live that. So they knew that we were going to come help, and we did, and got on station probably there, I don't know, six, seven, eight minutes, and they called for Xville, and it was just a... The best way I can explain is that the hair had stood up on my neck from the time I took off till the time the missile hit me. And uh, so we had, I'd done a low pass over the five vehicles and we were getting ready to leave. And I was in a climbing right hand turn, kind of going southwest in an SA 16. And that's a highly advanced, highly it's technologically advanced Russian system that is a heat seeker. So that they, they 
fired the missile at me. It impacted, hit my engine, and uh, engine quit. So it works as advertised. Then I immediately started an auto rotation, and that's a maneuver that we do in helicopters if we lose an engine. And it's pretty much just a powered off landing. And I'm also an instructor pilot, so I had, you know, I've done many, many, many auto rotations. I was probably in the worst condition that day to have an engine failure at a 20 knot tailwind, and I was heavy. I hadn't shot very much, and of course, full of gas. So, yeah, I was pretty much at max gross weight. And that helicopter falls like a greased crowbar without anything on it. So, so yeah, we we uh, we headed towards the ground, and I initiated an auto, an auto rotation, and I landed. Just man, my landing was very good. My co-pilot told me he's like that was a nice landing, and I said okay. So you know, it, it's under stress, under duress, our brain takes over. You know, we got all these great physiological effects that take place in our bodies. You know, we start drump, dumping adrenaline and all those good things, and then our training kicks in. And as humans, we react, but under stress, we react to our lowest level of training. So if you're highly trained, then the outcome is going to be good. If you're not highly trained, the outcome cannot be so good. So, yeah, and we touched down on the ground. I slid about 35 meters and went down just a bit of a slope and then the skid stuck in the dirt hmm. when it did that it rolled us end over end three times and uh yeah so i came to we were inverted and i i i just kind of sat there for a second it, it had knocked us out i'm i'm almost positive i my head had hit i was in the right seat and it hit the door frame and it cracked my helmet. I'd hit it, hit that door frame so hard. Wow. In that in that post-crash sequence. So and I just I kept hearing this popping. And I it's it was funny because the first thing I thought about was popcorn. It's like, what is, what is that popcorn doing? You know? But we were on fire, had been all the way down through the crash. They had got a couple pictures of us in the air, and there's a big flame, you know, falling. A little black egg and uh so then i realized oh that's ammo cooking off so our our ammo cans sit right behind us and in the cargo bay there and that's what feeds the minigun on each side plus i had two seven shot rocket pods and i had 17 pound rockets on board my first thought was about them you know what are they going to do if they catch on fire are they going to explode are they going to take you know you know, take off, whatever the case, but, but then, you know, we, we all do that check. So I, I wiggle my toes, move my feet, legs, try to move my arms and, uh, just get oriented to where I was. Of course it was aircraft was filled with smoke and dust and all that, all those things. It, it, the environment was just dirt. There's no elevation, no trees, no, where I touched down, no buildings, it was just flat dirt. And it's very difficult if you don't have that that relative vertical, like a telephone pole or a building, to judge height above the ground. 
and all aviators, you know, we use those things to help us. I had a radar altimeter in the aircraft, so I could monitor that, you know, 150 feet, 75 feet. I started my D-cell to bleed the speed off because I wanted a short, a short ground run. And yeah, so I just did what I was trying to do. And I looked at my co-pilot and I said, hey, I said, get your rifle, get out of the aircraft and meet me over here. I pointed, we always meet at the three o'clock or the nine o'clock on a gun bird because in case something does go off, right. you don't want to be in front of or behind the aircraft. So I crawled out, grabbed my rifle. My first priority was security of the crash site. And I kind of looked and I'm like, oh my goodness, we are on fire. And the fire had reached right behind our seats at that point. Ammo was cooking off, <clears throat> burning. And then I heard, I heard the Delta guys, they, two of the guys saw the shot from the building and they immediately started to suppress, you know, that building and all the bad guys. Cause we just stirred up a hornet's nest. So <clears throat> I, I could hear them there in a gunfight, the other AH, they were almost out of gas. I heard him making engagements into the bill there <clears throat> and uh, covering the, the Delta guys as they maneuvered towards, towards that building. Yes, sir. So, so I looked back, looked for my co-pilot. I didn't see him. I was like, doggone, I got to get him, get him out of there because the, air, the aircraft was burning quite rapidly. And, uh, so I kind of crawled back over there and I said, Hey, you got to get out like right now. <clears throat> and he just kind of shook his head. He had blood all over his face. And I was like, okay, did he, you know, did he get hit? Did he get shot? Did he, the little bird has a, a bad reputation in the crash sequence of the shoulder harness not locking. So when I know a couple guys this has happened to, they don't have any teeth. Because what happens is you just smack the cyclic with your mouth and that right. forward movement of it. So <clears throat> I just kind of looked at him right quick and he can't, he nodded his head. So I crawled back out again, priority of security of that crash site. Because all I could think about is, of course, Black Hawk down. Little black helicopter shot down, broad daylight. Here they come. And uh, so I looked back again. I, I actually was thought about getting my, we carry a one-day rucksack right behind our seats. And in there, we have our night vision goggles, water, grenades, ammo. And I, I couldn't even get my hand in there to get it out because it was totally engulfed in, in flame. So at that point, I looked and I could see the co-pilot and the the fire was literally lapping at his arm in the cockpit. So I just crawled back in there and I, I reached up, grabbed his latch on his harness and I pulled it. Of course he fell down cause we were upside down. And I think that kind of brought him to and he looked up at me and I just grabbed him by his kit, by his vest right here. And I just started pulling him out of the helicopter. <laughs> I said, I'm not messing around anymore, man. This is, this is scaring me. So we, uh, yeah, we set up to the east of the aircraft in a bit of a death lane and uh, just preparing for whatever might come. And I heard a vehicle and I told him, I said, hey, eyes up. You know, there's a vehicle coming. Let's talk about it. Let's put both guns on it. We're both kind of jacked up right now. So let's not let's not shoot a friendly. That's what I was trying to say. And yeah, so I, I saw a head. 
a baseball cap and then this bearded face. And then as he came up in elevation running towards us, I was like, Oh, I know that guy. He's a friend of mine. So yeah, it was Chaz. And, uh, yeah. So then we got us picked up. We attacked the Ville and spent about six hours in a gunfight for the rest of the day. And then we fought our way back through Fallujah to Ramadi, through Ramadi, to our mission support site there in Northeast Ramadi. <laughs> so, yeah, we got back about, uh, it was almost 10 p.m., 2200 Iraq time. Yeah. And Doc Green took care of us. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how <laughs> you know Mark, he and I, um, we came to Congress together, but I knew Mark. We were, I was in the State House and the State Senate. He was in the State Senate, but not at the same time. He came after I did. And I've known him just through politics and stuff. And oh yes, sir. Yeah, he was our he was our one of our flight surgeons in the regiment. And I don't know if he was regimental flight surgeon then. He may have just been first battalion, but anyway. Yeah, yeah he, he he's kind of a half-assed congressman. Is he is he ain't count as a doctor? <laughs> he's he's a damn good doctor. Okay. Yeah, he is. Save yeah, me. He is. I, he well, I was me. we had the baseball game this week and and, oh, and I looked over there and he had his, he was sitting in the dugout with us, had his stethoscope. And I was, I was really yeah. kind of glad to see him over there. A bunch of old guys out there get banged up. Yeah. He got his blood pressure cuff and his stethoscope. Oh, he's, he's all business. And, and then yeah. he, um, after, um, we left the, the white house one night and he, um, there was a riot going on outside. And, and I remember him saying, this is, it's a little different in combat, Burchett. He said, I've been in combat. He said, hey, he said, this is a little different because it was yes, just sir. people coming from all sides. And it was just, that's for another story. But yes, that's sir. good. I'll tell him you said hello. I, I know yeah. you own um, Shield 91 and uh, provides all aspects of the firearms training, of course. Can you give yeah. some specifics about what you do there and why it's so important? I, you know, yes, I've been sir. around, I've been around guns my whole life and I remembered. I took a course up here in DC, you know, and this, this cat giving this course, he was more interested in one of the ladies in the course than he was in teaching us. Uh, the first thing he did, he pulls this Glock out and he's carrying them in a sack, literally just like a half. A, I mean, there was a dozen Glocks. Cause I remembered he was, mine kept jamming. And if you know anything about Glocks, they don't yes. jam. No, I mean, it's, that's, that's kind of the beauty of them. You know, I, I did a report on them. I, I held a Glock on a, on some folks breaking in my warehouse and Gadsden <laughs> Glock when he was still alive, sent me a Christmas card of all things. I'll be darned. But anyway, but, um, and I remembered he, um, and I, I immediately realized I was, this guy was a clown when he held up his gun and said, is this gun loaded? And yeah. I said, I raised my hand. I said, all guns are loaded. Yes, you know, because no, everybody always gets shot. And so I didn't know that gun was loaded. You know, that's the rednecks last, you know, after yeah. he shoots somebody or, or he shoots, shoots the TV or the refrigerator. And the guy there. said, and the guy said, no, no, not exactly. And I thought, no, this guy's one of those clowns you'll see on YouTube shooting himself in the foot. But right. tell me, tell me a little bit about Shield 91. Yes, sir. Like you said, I, I was focused on after I retired 2008 focus on tactics and firearms training and I worked for Kyle Lamb Viking Tactics VTAC I was an instructor with him plus doing my own thing so we we wanted to bring our knowledge and our skills to law enforcement uh, 
and to army units that were getting ready to deploy and, you know, just educate people and share our knowledge of lessons learned over the last eight years in combat since 2001. Kyle and I both retired about the same time. But, and then my, also my focus was on school safety and security. And I started a program right after Columbine called Not On My Watch. So that's probably in the last uh, 15 years, 10 years, has been my focus you know, on here in Texas. And the program has been implemented all over the country now. But uh, 2014, there was a, a an ISD, Argyle ISD, just outside the metro there, Dallas-Fort Worth, that implemented it. And man, it just, yeah, it took off like a West Texas grass fire. And I was on Fox and Friends with Brian Kilmeade and all the, all the major channels there in Dallas, Fort Worth. So right. yeah, it, it, it's proven it works. And I mean, still today, I, I, and I do it pro bono now just because, you know, I've got grandkids and in schools here where we live. And it's important to me to share that knowledge and education. Uh, the program, not on my watch, is I took a no-nonsense approach or a common-sense approach to it. Number one, I, and I grew up with educators, my mother, my grandmother, my grandfather, my aunts, my uncles, were, I had no chance in school. So I, I, knew, I knew the education system, and I know educators, but it, the issue is always money and then the lawyers. So when you start talking about arming individuals, oh my gosh, you know, the liability, this and that. And, yeah. and that's okay. You, you don't have to arm your people, but I, I can come in and now I'm, I've done it for corporations, for major companies, for churches, uh, schools, universities, you name it. So I can come in and show you at a very low cost if, and some of them I've even done no cost, but Number one is situational awareness training. So we have to be aware of our environment and doing those little things. If, you know, do you have an EOP or an ERP emergency response plan? When is the last time that you did training? When did you do a full scale emergency response plan drill? You know, in most of these places, like, uh, I don't even know where it is, or we haven't read it or it hasn't been updated. So, you know, that that's generally the first thing they do. And, and my motto that, that I coined many, many years ago was run, fight, or hide. Now everybody uses it in one order or the other. But it's proven, you know, a running target is much, much harder to hit if you're being shot at than if yeah. you're hiding under a desk. I mean, watch the videos. They've got it from Columbine and all over. But So, yeah, just – and I can show schools how to – you know, not hard, not so much hardened. I mean, we as Americans, we love glass. So, you know, oh, wait, there's glass everywhere, big glass doors, big glass windows. But there are ways to harden those at low cost or no cost. I've even okay. worked with architects and engineers that, that plan and build schools to help them. Yeah, get it on the front end. Absolutely. Yeah, we, yes, we take that in consideration. I was county mayor for eight years, and that was something that we... Yes, sir. We talked to the engineers. Well, we're kind of wrapping up here, Greg. Let me ask you, um, I always let people do this. You get to ask me one question, anything you want. And of course, if I don't like it, I can just edit it out. We won't even have this portion of the call on the show. I know where you live. You edit it out, I'm going to come visit you. Yeah, well, everybody knows where I live. <laughs> yes, sir. 
Well, I and I thought about this for quite a while, and, it, and it's always on my mind. But and it, it's it's one question, but it's multiple parts and pieces. Veterans in this, I don't like these PTS and PTSD. All right. So the media and others have put a stigma on us veterans because of PTSD. I have been on a crusade for several years. I've talked to Doc Green about this. Okay. I think it should be called PCS, post combat stress. And I've studied this, I've researched it. You know, I've talked to all kinds of docs and psychiatrists and psychologists. There's different degrees of PTS. So keep in mind, you can be in a car wreck or be abused as a child or a rape victim, or and there, there, there are different time lengths that have been measured by professionals. So you take those guys out there, especially in the special operations community, that have done 8, 10, 12, 15 combat tours. That's not PTS, man. That's post-combat stress. Right. So all I'm asking is to help me get this out there and let's, let's change the stigma that folks. I agree with you. I, you know, mental health, I always say mental health. If you get, you cut your hand, you you know, in Knoxville, you run over to UT hospital and the emergency room, but you got something going on in your head. There's a stigma attached to it. Some of my best yes. friends have mental illnesses. And my dad actually, um, you know, he was an accomplished person. He became a Dean at UT and, Yes, on school board and did a lot of great things. But to the day he died, I would wake when I would wake daddy up, I always grab him by his big toe because yeah. I don't know where he would wake up. You know, I don't know if he thought he was on one of those islands or something like that, or I was Japanese and, and it would have been on. So yes, yeah, I, I'll get with green. I'll get with Mark and I'll get yes. with him today and talk to him about that. I, I appreciate I, that. Yes, sir. And I talk about it in depth and detail. This is my book, death waits in the dark. It's available on Audible and and uh, Kindle. The softback sold out. We've sold over 10,000 copies. I've lost count of all the veterans and family members that have thanked me because I talk about my demons in the dark places that I've been and went. And because that I'm a, I'm a deep, faithful Christian, I'm here today. I'm yeah, well, Christian. you and me both, brother. There go I by the grace yeah. of God. So yes, I'm sir. with you. I'm, I mean, I never experience anything like that but i've screwed up multiple times so i'm i'm on yeah, the and i donate all respect. the proceeds to this book we've donated over fifty five thousand dollars to date to non-profits to help vets first responders and their families all right well i'll, I'll be sure to get with green and i'll work with you on thank that you. i promise you and thank i want to thank you for serving our great country i live in a pretty it, cool it was an honor country because of folks like you and my dad and my uncle and the rest Absolutely. of y'all so but anyway hey, mom yeah. Yeah. And my mama, she was something. Every else. American serves when this country goes to war. Every American serves. Yeah. Don't think yeah. any different. I've heard her talk about when they came to the house to tell her that her brother had gotten killed over in uh, Europe and just how uh, devastating that was. And said her mama went to the back room and cried for 10 minutes and then came out and fixed supper. Yes, tough sir. country people, uh, tough, uh, tough people, but they were hard people. Yes, sir. Greg, thank you again, brother, for serving our yeah. country. It's been a great honor. And I'm Congressman Tim Burchett. I want to thank you all for watching another episode of Tennessee Talks. And they just keep getting better. Greg, thank you, brother. Be blessed, Congressman. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tennessee Talks. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Keep up with Congressman Burchett by following Rep. Tim Burchett on Twitter and Instagram and Congressman Tim Burchett on Facebook and YouTube.